Oh man, that was great. I think that was a traditional song sung on a traditional key and about scraped us off the ceiling there at the end. Don't you, don't you think? <laughs> well, we're in, uh, we've been reading this love letter from the Apostle John. It's 1 John. In fact, if you wanted, we're going to read some of the scripture. And if you wanted a Bible, just raise your hand because they'll bring one from the back for you. Anybody need one where you can read it yourself? And uh, in fact, if you wanted, you could take the book with you because we want people reading God's word. Anybody just raise your hand. They'll bring one right, right to where you are. Just keep your hand up for a minute. We've been reading through this letter, love letter. Uh, the Apostle John is in his elder years, and he's writing to a struggling, uh, suffering church that he's cared deeply about. He's wanting to encourage these people to stand strong in their faith in Jesus, and he has a lot to say about loving one another and a lot to say about being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the last two verses of chapter 3, which we covered last week, say this. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. <clears throat> now, if you look at this here, he's telling us two things. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. Believe in Jesus' name and love one another. Keep his commandment, abide in God, powered by his Holy Spirit. That a person in their natural state of their own, uh, their own thinking isn't going to think this up. The natural man doesn't think like God. God says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. So if we're going to have a relationship with him, he offers himself and then we have to receive him and come to him humbly. Otherwise, we just don't have any access to think his thoughts or to know what would please God. And look what God's Spirit does for us. Number one, He gives us the power to obey this command to love one another. This is the kind of love, it's a choice. It's, it's not a feeling. We choose to love each other because Christ commanded us to, and then knowing that the world is watching to say, how do those Christians treat each other? And when they see that we treat each other with love and compassion and care, they say, that must be from God because that's not how the world treats the world. The second thing that God's Spirit does for us is that God's Spirit gives us the power to believe in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when he offers himself and you receive him, it's kind of like being a little bit pregnant. I mean, at first, it doesn't look like much has happened, and yet, you know, it's changing you. It affects how you eat and how you drink and how you sleep and your habit patterns and how you think and what you talk about and how you cope with problems, even when you're tired and discouraged. And pretty soon, if you're a little bit pregnant, sooner or later, it starts to show. It's not something that you can hide. And, uh, you know, if you're wondering if God's Spirit is in you, then John gives us these two proofs. Number one, he says the Spirit will impact what you believe because God's Spirit always bears witness to Jesus. The Spirit will focus you on believing this, that Jesus is God, come in human flesh, that his work on the cross paid the price for your sin and for mine. He opened a way for us to be right with God. Well, apart from Jesus, the Bible tells us there is no right way to God. It's not all roads will take you there. It's not all religions are the same. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that would be offensive, except it's true. And so if you're going to be right with God, you need to get right with Jesus. And the second thing he says here, the second proof is that the Holy Spirit will empower you to love. Paul was talking about this to the Galatians, and he said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, there is no law. And if you, know, if you had a peach tree, you would expect sooner or later, every year, it's going to produce peaches. If you have a lemon tree, you expect it's going to produce lemons. And he's saying when you, the, you are connected to the Spirit of God, then this is the fruit that is going to grow in your life. You can't help it. It just, if the, your life is connected to the Spirit, you, then you're alive and it's going to produce this kind of fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. And John is stating that God's Spirit gives us the power, gives us the ability to love one another right here in the family of faith at a more deeper, significant level than we would just left to ourselves. And we talked about this a lot last Sunday, love one another. Uh, and uh, how do we be more intentional? In fact, that's why I'm asking everybody, wear a name tag every week. Give people a chance to at least start with your name and uh, so that you can get acquainted and can grow in relationships with one another. To accomplish this, what God has told us to do of loving one another, it starts by getting to know people in a large group like this, in our small groups, in doing serving things together, um, <clears throat> and in the ways that we interact with each other. So that kind of deep love for God's people grows out of a staying connected to Jesus Christ, staying connected to the Spirit of God in our lives. And not every spirit can do that. Not every spirit will do that. And that's where we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything that's whispered in your ear. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And in this next portion of his letter, John gives us two ways to know for sure that the Spirit of God is the Spirit that's active in our heart. So let's look at these two ways, two little tests, really. Number one, it'd be, oh, be careful, little lips, what you say. Oh, be careful, little lips, what you say. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which means against Christ, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So test number one, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, claimed to be God. He claimed to be equal with God the Father in heaven. Did Jesus come from God? Is Jesus God? Well, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God says yes. Any other spirit would say no. I mean, there are plenty of religions that have a lot to say about Jesus. Did you know that the number one person that's talked about the most in the Muslim holy book, the Quran, is Jesus? And the Quran compliments him highly, but it never calls Jesus God. There are religions that claim Jesus is a son of God, but that he's not actually equal with God. Any statement about Jesus' identity that claims that he's less than fully God is not from the Spirit of God. That's what John is telling us right here, that Jesus is God, come into the world in human flesh. So if you stay with your own mouth, with your own lips, in your own words, that Jesus Christ is God, come in human flesh, that, that's what it takes to become a Christian, right? Well, that's what Paul says right here, or John says right here, and Paul would seem to agree in Romans 10 and 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it starts with a simple statement or a prayer that Jesus Christ is God and he can forgive sin, and God, please come in my life, Jesus, and forgive my sin and be my Savior. And yet to me that doesn't seem to be enough. 
to just say a few words, to have the kind of relationship some people do where they show up early in life for baptism and then maybe for a wedding and the third time they ever show up at church is, is for their funeral. You know, and, and to think, well, I got it covered because I said the right little formula or it was said over me. And I think you can say these words and not be powered by God's Spirit and not truly be a Christian. I mean, I think you can. And Jesus even warned about this in his sermon that's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by your fruits. He's saying the same thing. When, when God's alive in you, there's going to there's gonna be fruit that shows from the fact that it's not just you, that, but that God is actually alive in you. Then Jesus goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, and this verse bothers me, by the way, Lord, Lord, we did not, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works, many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people, Jesus doesn't say, no, no, you didn't prophesy in my name. He doesn't say, you didn't cast out demons in my name. He doesn't say, you didn't do mighty works in my name. They were giving Jesus the name the credit, but somehow they were not doing what God wanted them to do because they hadn't listened to God's voice and just followed him and Jesus is saying, I don't know you because you never entered into a personal relationship with me. And we all know people who've heard about Jesus, who've read the four spiritual laws and prayed the prayer at the end, who've walked down what's called the Roman road, which is a, a list of verses that take you to salvation in Christ. People who heard Billy Graham's invitation at one of his uh, sermons or campaigns and came down whilst people were singing, just as I am, to ask Jesus to be their savior. People who prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into their heart. But now, weeks or months or years later, they aren't walking with Jesus. They said the right things, but it didn't take. It didn't stick. And Jesus says, how am I going to know who are mine? The ones who do the will of my Father. Not just say the right thing, who do the will of my Father. I mean, what's missing? Sincerity. Counting the cost. Genuine life change. To start with a few, I mean, what all they've done, if, if they just have spoken, is it's all talk. You've got to put actions and, uh, and, and lifestyle and choices all in line with saying, how do I put Jesus Christ first in my life and not just have it be something that, well, I just said it flippantly and, and I left it at that. Anybody here, this would be kind of fun, anybody here went out on a date and they were asked on the first date, will you marry me? Okay, that has happened to some people. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be asked, will you marry me? I know that some young people don't aspire to get married in this day and age because they've seen a lot of broken hearts from broken promises. And, and, um, uh, but, you know, who hasn't dreamed of finding the right person and of living happily ever after with that person? Now, it's probably better to spend your efforts on being the right person rather than finding the right person. But... Uh, you know, we work from an assumption that if we're going to find the right person, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take communication. It's going to take uh, mutual problem solving. We're going to have to build trust with one another. We're going to have shared positive experiences and let our love grow in a way that's real and genuine. Can you do all that in a moment on a first date? Probably not. 
Probably not. So if you were on a first date and somebody blurted out, will you marry me? Oh, probably what's going to happen next is a laugh, right? Buying a little time and then say, you can't be serious. Why? Because sincerity is in question. It's asking too much too soon. So little serious thought of the consequences. I mean, he would seem like a flyweight. And you're saying the right words, and maybe someday I hope to hear those, but have you counted the cost? You don't seem to. You seem to be jumping way ahead, taking things out of sequence. You're jumping way over some important building blocks and uh, of sharing life together and uh, the genuine communication and, and problem solving and growing in our relationship together. And John is saying only God's Spirit can give you insight to believe that Jesus is God come in human flesh. And it has to be more than lip service. So you can say the right thing, but if God's Spirit is powering you, if it's genuinely born alive in you, it's going to grow and it's going to change your life. He says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Paul said the same. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So both John and Paul use this phrase, confess the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to confess in this context? It means coming to grips with the fact that your sin, whether it was great or whether it was small, but your sin separated you from God. And that without intervention by Jesus Christ, by God himself, without making a serious and heartfelt apology with your lips and making restitution with your life, you'll not get right with God and you'll not spend eternity in his presence. I mean, you have to have waited out and offered a genuine apology and then have a, a proof of that is a life change. Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. Some of you are probably familiar with that. Most people aren't as familiar with his next book, which was The Five Languages of Apology. Of Apology. That people apologize differently, and sometimes uh, what somebody meant as an apology, we didn't take uh, seriously. I mean, you ever heard somebody say, well, I said I was sorry, and you go, well, okay, obviously it didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't taken as sincere. When we had three little kids in our home, as normal kids would do, they would clonk each other from time to time. And um, <clears throat> at some point, you'd, I'd find myself being the papa referee where you got one kid by the shoulder here and one kid by the shoulder here and just say, no, look at what you did or said was wrong and you need to apologize. And they stand there. So no, no, you have to say you're sorry. Until one of them thought of this great idea and looked and said, Sorry, sorry, Bari. Which sorry, Bari came to mean kind of like sorry, light. You know what I'm saying? Like, like mix sorry. Like, uh, you know, don't take this seriously because I'm only saying this for the old guy. I don't really feel any remorse. I don't feel apologetic. I'm just saying the right word to get him off my back. Well, Forgiveness doesn't flow and reconciliation doesn't focus when the apology is trivial or glib or trite, or insincere. So we made a rule in our house. Nobody can say, sorry, Bari. What we're really trying to do is eliminate insincerity. And we want a genuine, caring, and honest communication between family members. Oh, be careful, little lips, what you say. Right? I mean, we had another situation. Kids were growing up. By now, they were teenagers, and there's a family that comes to our home to visit, and we've made good friends with them then. And uh, the, the man in that couple is brilliant, and he's, he's gone to church a lot. He went as a kid, and then he went with his wife. And uh, yet to this day, he's never claimed to be a Christian. He's kind of proud of that fact, and uh, he's never said he's a follower of Christ. And I've preached literally hundreds of sermons that I know he's listened to because they tell us how they get on our website and, and look up messages. And uh, not, I guess from what I can tell, I haven't made a dent. 
And we've prayed for years for this person to come to know Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. Well, one night he and I were talking and something came up about a, uh, I was talking about somebody who had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he stopped me and he said, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And I'm thinking, wow, I have prayed for this moment literally for years for this person to be able to explain this. They've never wanted to ask that. They've always seemed to kind of work around it, but they actually asked the question, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And so I did my very best to explain it means uh, coming to Jesus, asking him, recognizing he's God, asking him to forgive your sin, to come and live in your heart and have his spirit lead and guide you. Basically, you give everything you have, which isn't much, and it's broken, uh, for everything that he's got, which is everything and, and is, is whole and perfect. And you make this trade, of course, your little pride is standing in the way, so you kind of have to remove that and to say, I need help, and, um, and to have Jesus move into your heart, and then to, every day as you, you put your thoughts through a, 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 a filter of what would God want, what would Jesus say, what would Jesus do, how do I think like Jesus on this? So I've hardly finished explaining all of this, and the door opens, and our older son comes in from a date, Micah, and I said, hey, Micah, come here, come here, come here. This friend of ours has just asked this question, and I just took my best crack at answering it. But I want you to try to answer the same question. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And so he kind of went, gulp, well, let's see. Well, and he did his best to explain it, just like I've explained it to you. And honestly, I didn't set this up, but he's hardly finished. And our next son, Simon, comes walking in the door from a date. And I said, hey, tell you what, tell you what, we've just finished answering for this friend. Uh, what does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And I answered it, and Mike answered it. Simon, I want you to take an answer at it, even though you haven't heard the other guy's answers. I mean, it was like door number one, door number two, door number three. What was that, the dating game, you know, where you had three choices from behind the door? And so Simon took his uh, crack at answering it and did his best. And he finishes, and then there's this lull. Now's the time the guy's supposed to say, that's what I need in my life. There's a void that can't be filled by anything except Jesus Christ. I need him to come in and def I have done some, mis made some mistakes. I need his forgiveness. I need him to come alive in me. I need him to power my life just like you all have talked about. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But instead he said, well, I've heard lots of people answer this question before and I've got to tell you, among everybody who's ever answered it for me, you three did the very best. Ten years have gone by. We're still waiting. We're still praying. Now, if you've got somebody like that in your life, don't give up. Just keep praying. The Spirit of God has to extend that invitation. There probably might be some crisis in the middle of it. The person has to reach out and to take God's hand and to say, yes, I really do need your help. And until that happens, they're not alive in Christ. And we don't expect people who are dead to act like people who are alive. But we pray and we hope that someday those that we love will say, I need to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. By this you will know, John said, that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's only going to come from God, that Jesus Christ is God. He's divine. He has the power to forgive sin. So test number one, was Jesus Christ in the flesh actually God? God's Spirit says yes. Test number two, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. 
Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What is the test of the ear? If you have God's spirit in you, the spirit of truth, then you're going to hear the word of God. When it is presented, God's spirit will help you to hear what you need to hear and respond to God's word. Now, I'm convinced that all of us are working to become like Christ when he was perfect. And I don't think we ever actually attain that in this life. I know some people think they do. One person who said that, I said, well, who do you know that is actually sinless, lives in sinless perfection? And they said, two. I said, who? Well, my pastor and my mom. I said, I met your mom. Let's go talk to your pastor. <laughs> so I don't think we ever reach that, but our goal is to work on becoming more and more and more like Christ so that every day as we read God's word, as we pray, God's spirit lead me, as you hear God's spirit speak, you will know that uh, it, it his spirit confirms God's word. And there are things that you and I can let go of, things that you and I can, uh, can uh, strive to reach that help us to become more like Christ, have a deeper, richer, more loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not something that ever f finishes or you can ever complete it. I think when you're completed, that's the day you step into heaven. And so God speaks to us, and if we're attuned to hear his voice, then we respond as people who say, he is in charge of my life, and he just gave me something to do, and I'm going to do it. So if you've ever had the experience of with your children or a classroom full of students giving an assignment, set the table, empty the trash can, do your math, read a book, and then you've waited what you've considered an appropriate amount of time for a response and nothing's happened which I told my kids seven seconds is about the maximum length of time that I'm going to be patient to wait to see you respond appropriately. After that, you're out of bounds. But when we waited so long and it hasn't happened, you say, hey, you're not listening to me. It wasn't a matter they didn't hear, but the listening involves some positive response, doesn't it? Some life change, you know, some change. I mean, I had a situation, this a few years ago now, but I was walking out the kitchen. One of our kids is sitting there, I think, watching TV, flipping channels or something, and lying down on the couch. I said, hey, mom's not feeling all that great. Would you please come out to the kitchen and help me start getting dinner ready? You could set the table. Okay, that's about seven seconds. I waited, nothing happened. I waited a whole minute. I was patient. I waited a second whole minute. There was no change. The, the channel didn't change. There was no voice that said anything. I, I mean, I finally said, hey, I told you to come out and to help set the table. To which, and this is still a shock to me, the person said, no, you asked me, would I come out and help set the table? And I decided no. I said, now, well, listen. When your dad asks you something, he's just being nice. He's really telling you something. There wasn't a choice in there. The only proper response was to say, yes, dad, get up from the couch and get out here and start working. And when God's spirit speaks to us, the only appropriate response for us is to say, yes, Lord, and do what he's given us to do. You see... Since we're the children of God, God's Spirit speaks in our hearts. And when he speaks to us in his heart, which will be confirmed by his word, we, we listen differently than somebody who doesn't have God's Spirit. They are tone deaf to what God is trying to tell you. They don't hear it. 
We listen with a heart that says, oh, Lord, your wish is my command. As David said, I long to do your will, O God. You don't come by that naturally. That's a work of the God spirit in your heart to bring our hearts to that point. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. I, they said, therefore, chapter 12, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. And an example from Paul's ministry, when he got to Philippi, he gathered people together and he's preaching to them. And it says in Acts 16, one of those who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God can do that. He can open our hardened hearts if we just give them to him and say, here, do what you want with me. God's spirit does that. He opens our hearts so that we can hear what God is trying to say to us among all the competing voices that there are in this world trying to get our attention, that we would be able to hear him above all else. I heard of this Indian and this white guy that visited New York City. I don't think it was Tonto and the Lone Ranger because I don't think the Lone Ranger would travel with anybody. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the Lone Ranger. You know what I mean? And, and so... I don't know, just trying to figure out. Anyway, these two guys are standing at a busy intersection in New York City, and cars going by, and the skyscrapers, and there's people waiting to cross the street, and people are honking, and, and um, all of a sudden, the Indian says, hey, do you hear that? He says, what? He says, a cricket. He says, a cricket? How can you hear a cricket with all this noise? He says, no, I hear a cricket. And just then, the light turned uh, green, and so they walked across the street, and he went down a few feet, and right there in, in a crack in, in, the, in the gutter was a cricket. And the white guy said, oh, my goodness, how did you ever hear that? And the Indian said, well, watch. And he reached in his corner, and he took out some coins, and he dropped them on the sidewalk. And everybody's head turned. He said, it all depends what you're listening for. What are you listening for? Are you listening for the Spirit of God to speak to you? To say, here's what I want you to do. Are you attuned to, the, to, to God's voice? Do you hear in a way that you can tell God has empowered me to be able to hear that. John's saying when God's Holy Spirit moves into our heart and takes charge and he gives us ears to hear his call above all others in all the din that's going on around us, in all the, the yelling and screaming for our attention. And nobody comes to this naturally. This hearing, this seeing, this confessing the truth as a proof of the presence and the work of God's Spirit in our heart. I think that's worth praying for. If you were to look back this last week and to say, you know, I kind of just did my own thing. I didn't really have any crisis. I didn't really have any problem. I just kind of was going along with the flow. I didn't really take any time talking to the Lord or listening to his voice or, or hearing that whisper from him that said, hey, do this or do that. I just kind of was on my own track. Well, maybe this week to pray, God, whisper a little louder. Give me more of a heart that's attuned to hear your voice because I want to please you with my life. That's our goal as fully devoted followers of Christ is to truly follow his lead. I mean, right in the middle of these two tests, John gives this great affirmation. We read it, but you might have missed it. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Here we live in this world with Lots of sayings going on and lots of people talking and lots of ideas espoused as the truth, whether they are or not, and lots of people lifted up as models to follow and lots of ideas about God and about Jesus and lots of spiritual talk bouncing around. Stick to the truth. 
The way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. How do we do that? All this talk and all this popular thinking and all this persuasion in the spirit of the age can push us towards watering down the gospel to let Jesus slip off the throne to say, well, Jesus was a good guy, but he wasn't quite what the Bible says he is. You've missed the point then because there's lots of empty philosophies and wild imaginations and lots of theories proclaimed as fact, subtle, deceptive attacks made on Christ that we hear over and over and over, and it can wear us down. How do we stand firm? Paul's writing this letter to a church that's been through a very difficult time and they've had a a, a split over the identity of Jesus. These people have lost some dear friends, maybe family members, and he's writing to encourage them to say, stand strong with Jesus. You're swimming against the current. Don't be swept away. Stay encouraged because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. John repeatedly calls his audience little children. He's older and he's wiser. He's been around longer. He actually walked with Jesus. And so he has the qualifications uh, to talk to them like that. But it's not a comparison or a put down. I think he's including himself because John is trying to say, hey, kids, we're up against a huge more than human foe. The devil is stronger than you are. He's smarter than you are. He's more devious than you. He's been around longer. He's hurt. He's angry. He's vindictive. He's super deceptive. He's a liar. He's fooled even some of the people who went to your church. And he's out to get you and to fool you and to erode your high and proper view of Jesus as God. He'll use false prophets, evil spirits, popular opinion, fatigue, discouragement, a nasty church fight or a compromise just to get you to compromise. Stand strong, because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Jesus wins. We know that from reading the end of the book. Jesus wins in the end. Stay on the winning team. Stick with the champion. How do we know? Because God's Spirit has been given to us as a gift to guide us and to encourage us and to focus our attention. Jesus said it this way in John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here Jesus, truly God, came and lived in this world, and he died, and he rose from the dead, and he went back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit of truth was given to guide us into truth. And he speaks the truth that he has from God. And those who belong to Jesus hear his voice and respond in faith and obedience. And he declares the future things to come. And and we have our challenges and we have our, our, our issues and our trials and our testings. But if you stay close to Jesus, you win in the end. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He confirms for us that Jesus is truly God. And we can confess him to the world with confidence and with joy And and with peace, we can confess our undying devotion to the Savior and determine to stay connected in a love relationship with Him. It starts now and it lasts forever. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And that's our goal, to love God and to love one another. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, I pray that each person here has and or is truly desiring to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that makes a difference not just for now but for eternity, that you can forgive our sin. You're the only one who can, and you can fill us with peace and purpose and give us the promise of heaven. 
And so I pray for each person right here, if they've never done that, that just quietly right now in prayer, they will ask you to become their Savior and their God, the one who forgives their sin and their best friend, and will commit themselves to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen.